can we at least talk about how they stepped the cape game up in this movie? Because <laughs> oh my gosh, the cape saying. game is strong, yeah. man. Hello, fellow geeks. Welcome to the Story Geeks podcast, and thank you for joining us. You are part of a small but influential group of people we call Story Geeks. Fans of science fiction, fantasy, and comic books who love to dig deeper into geek stories to see how they impact us and the culture around us. These aren't just stories that help us escape. These stories shape our world. How? That's what we're discussing today. Don't forget to click the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future Story Geeks content. And as always, we want to hear from you. So follow us on Facebook or Twitter and send us your thoughts and opinions by commenting or emailing. If you like this podcast, be sure to share it with a geek friend. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Shear, and this podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. For more information about the Story Geeks podcast and other Reclamation Society projects, visit www.reclamationsociety.org. Now, let's dive into this week's episode. Well, I'm going to welcome two special guests to the Story Geeks podcast, and I'm really glad we have them. First up, Shannon McCarter. Shannon McCarter is part of a group of Disney podcasters called Network 1901 and is a co-host on the Disney Culture Club and explained this book to me. She is their resident fangirl and is always ready to ship and speculate over all things Disney. Welcome, Shannon. Hi, it's great to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you. And I'm actually a, a listener of Network 1901. And one of the cool things about Shannon and one of the reasons I asked her to be on the show is she'll do videos on YouTube as a part of Network 1901 where she does break down other stories and gives you a little bit of her take on what makes them a good story or a bad story. So definitely check that out. <laughs> um, we also have Hannibal Taboo. Am I pronouncing that right, Hannibal? Yes, sir, you are. Hannibal Taboo. Hannibal Taboo is the longtime writer of the Bipile Reviews column at Comic Book Resources. Mm -hmm. The 2012 Top Cow Talent Hunt winner who's written for Aspen Comics, New Paradigm Studios, and has a new miniseries called Irrational Numbers coming out July 15th from Wonderman Comics. Yes, sir. Welcome to the show. I'm enormously happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Now, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a chance to talk about some of the stuff that you're doing. So, Shannon, why don't you just give a shout out to some of the stuff you're working on over at Network 1901? Yeah, so we do, you know, three podcasts a week. We do the Disney Culture Club, Modern Mouse Radio, and a Friday rotating show. Right now, we're actually doing The World That Never Was, which Josh is, like, one of the best storytellers I have ever seen. He ta He's talking about, like, all these different lands that never came to be at Disneyland, like the Soviet Union Pavilion, like Harry Potter World was almost Disney, and it's absolutely amazing. You guys have to check that out. We also do lots of YouTube videos. Like he was saying, you know, I do like to kind of break down some stories. I like to fangirl every once in a while. You know, I do tend to <laughs> let my fangirl out a little bit, but then you can break it down, get a little bit more serious. But if you want to check us out, we're just um, at network1901.com, at network1901 on everything. So yeah, check us out if you want to geek out speculate with us over there there you go uh, i will say uh, one of the cool things about josh you mentioned he's a good storyteller when he tells stories he reminds me um of uh npr he like does a, right yeah. like his his world that never was really makes me think of like serial or yep. um, missing richard simmons yeah exactly <laughs> or even uh the uh oh it's gonna it's gonna slip my memory right now um uh, the ira glass show 
This oh, American yeah? Life. This American Life is very similar to that. So that's cool. <laughs> Hannibal, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you're working on? All right, great. Well, I have four basic things coming up right now. First, as uh, you noted, I've got Irrational Numbers, which is a six-part miniseries from Wonderman Comics. It starts on July 15th. It's supernatural historical fiction, uh, which takes uh, the mathematician Pythagoras and posits him as one of the world's first vampires and follows his struggle with vampirism and his wayward apprentices through uh, centuries of bloodshed and, and finally a, a conclusion around the 1992 Romanian Revolution. So that's a, a project that was a lot of research and a lot of fun to write. So that sounds epic, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really had a blast writing that. Uh, the second thing that I have going on is in November I will have a story in the new Dark Universe anthology, which is a uh, space opera fictional world that's being collaboratively created by this guy Gene Patterson and Milton Davis who runs MV Media out of Atlanta. I'm very excited about that because I just threw myself into it. I, everything that I always wanted to do, I was able to finally do. And I'm like, yes, all my ridiculous ideas see life. So that was great. <laughs> uh, and then third, I have two web, third and fourth, I have two web comics going on. Every week you get a free page of a book that until the books are finished. Uh, one, the first one, which is called Menthu, the Anger of Angels, has an ancient Egyptian demigod fighting angels and demons in the streets of Los Angeles. And that book is completely written, lettered, drawn, everything. We're just put, we're just, I have to remember, oh, it's Monday. I have to put up a page, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, uh, Project Wildfire Street Justice, which has uh, a a superhero who fights against monsters in uh, uh, this outbreak of monsters in the Southern city, faced with real world crises that, you know, every time he can't punch or blast his way out of. So that dichotomy is very interesting Wow, that sounds amazing. I haven't read any of Hannibal's stuff yet, but that sounds super cool, so I'm going to have to check that out for yeah, sure. Yeah, like ditto. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, cool. So now, guys, we're going to dive into our spoiler-free review of Rogue One, and then I'll give a spoiler warning before we jump into the deeper questions. So don't talk about the war in the stars part. Don't talk about it, right, right, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah, the whole <laughs> war in the stars that we're going to hold off. Yeah. Um, so, Shannon... Where would you rank this film amongst all the other Star Wars films? What's your Star Wars ranking? Okay, so this is probably a little bit unconventional, but since I am more of a prequels person, I actually do rank Rogue One as my number two movie. I love this movie so much, and I mean, my first one is Force Awakens, and my third one is Revenge of the Sith, so, you know, I'm setting that bar. Wow, nice. (laughs) It's all the most recent ones. It, it is, you know, I, that could tell you some things about me, but I like to think that, you know, I just came into it late and I'm just, I love Anakin, I love Kylo Ren, Cassian Andor, my fangirl heart, can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. How about you, Hannibal? Which, where does this film rank for you? For me, this is tied for fourth uh, because I, well, as background, my mother took me to see uh, A New Hope in theaters 40 times in 1977. What? So, wow. uh, that is awesome. Yeah, I, I have been living and breathing this franchise for the majority of my life. Um, uh, also, and, and no uh, offense to Shannon, I hate The Force Awakens with the passion of a billion exploding suns. Oh, no. So, uh, <laughs> A, wait, okay. a billion, okay. a billion exploding suns. Yeah, uh, wow. Uh, just a hundred million wouldn't be enough. I had to upgrade that. So, <laughs> uh, for me, my ranking is uh, Empire Strikes Back at the top. That's number one. Okay. Uh, second to that would be, uh, truthfully, second to that would be Re- Revenge of the Sith. Uh, okay. 
least third, we agree on that. <laughs> third is a uh, uh, Return of the Jedi, and then tied it fourth with with Attack of the Clones would be uh, uh, this film, Rogue One. I really had a lot. I got really engaged with a lot of the characters. I tell people the K2 is my Patronus all the time. And <laughs> <laughs> I really felt that this was a, a lived-in, real Star Wars story. When I saw the sm- Oh, wait, I'm not going to... Oh, I'll save the spoilers. I'll save the spoilers. <laughs> yeah, That's see, awesome. You, you did a great job picking the co-host because now you're going to get both ends of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is like totally unplanned, but I will say that now we actually have like... Not quite three generations represented, but almost, because I'm right in the middle of you guys. There you go. Um, I had to see the original trilogy basically on, you know, what would have been VHS at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, but I didn't get to see it in theaters. Uh, so this is kind of cool. This will be this will be a good perspective throughout. Um, <laughs> and most of the fans of this show, as we're going through our Star Wars series, you've heard me talk about my rank order. But this film comes in at number two. Um what what yeah it's crazy like <laughs> we both have a number now the funny thing is we can both love this film but i am not a big prequels fan so okay. <laughs> it's cool that this film kind of like breaks down some barriers there, there which you is go. very nice mm-hmm. okay now hannibal what would you give as a scale of one to ten quality rating on this film i would definitely call this an 8.5 um the only, I mean, because I, I've watched it a few times now. I, I even had a special Father's Day viewing with my family uh, uh, so we could sit down and pick <laughs> it apart that way. And the only thing that this doesn't do that as a Star Wars film is have more quotes. Uh, I've been quoting Star Wars films most of my life, so mm. there's only a couple of things that I really pull from this. And again, I'll, I'll avoid spoilers here. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the dialogue... Uh, wasn't made for quoting. It was made for, oh, this is a solid, comprehensive war film, the same way that Force 10 from Navarone was a war film, or uh, uh, Bridge Over the Ridge River Choir was a war film. So the, that, that comprehensive nature of it doesn't allow for the kind of pop culture punchiness of some of the Star Wars films, but I don't believe that's a detriment. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that, but you're totally right about that. I can't even think of any quotable lines before, besides like the Darth Vader line that I don't like. Um, so <laughs> I'll give you yeah, some quotes later, but yeah, I'm not, I'm, yeah I, I won't. I got, some, I got some quotes, man. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. What's your What's your rating, Shannon? Well, this is actually kind of funny because I put it at eight point five as well. Um, what? My, I know, right? Yeah, my only like thing about it is that. Jin's character, she's just so passive and you can feel the reshoots at some moments. Mm. But I I watch this movie just over and over and over and it gets me every time. So it's just, it's way up there for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, um, from my standpoint, the quality of this film is a 10 out of 10. And I actually, I do have some minor gripes with the film. So I'm not saying it's a perfect film by any means. <laughs> but I think you just did. Um, <laughs> yeah i mean you know <laughs> but it, yeah it's true I, I just can't give it from a quality standpoint so just just a couple bullet points here um i love that we're back in the original trilogy era i think it's a fantastic bridge between the prequels and the original trilogy um now this is well i won't say this fully but i love the way that this film ends i'll put it that way uh love the tone of the film this is one of the best third acts I've seen in any film, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and also contains one of my favorite, if not the top scene from any Star Wars film. 
which we can get into later. But uh, my only minor gripes, just really quick, I do feel like the criticisms of the character development slash character arcs are uh, fair. I think they're often too they're too strong of criticisms, but the character arcs are a little bit lacking, in my opinion, especially compared to what we've seen in Star Wars before. Um, and without getting into too too much spoilers, there are a couple CG characters that definitely are not perfect. One is far better than the other, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, but that does, <laughs> yeah. So that kind of that kind of throws it off too. But still, when I'm adding it all up and comparing it to all the other films that I love out there from a quality perspective, I feel like they did a really really strong job. So I'm gonna say ten out of ten. Can we at least talk about how? They stepped the cape game up in this movie. Because, oh my gosh, the cape saying. game is strong, oh my man. God. You can feel the sass coming off those capes. It's insane. Yes. Even, even the travel cape, even the light cape for like, you know, inclement weather. Even that is fly. Even that, yeah. It's like, let's go, man. Where are they getting these? I need to shop there. It's not hot topic, that's for sure. So we're all on the same page. 10 out of 10 with the cape game. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And we, yeah. we need to shop on Coruscant. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a date. Yes. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So let's let's dive into our story depth rating. So as everybody knows who listens, this is just about how deep does this film get spiritually, emotionally, relationally? Does it dive in deep? Or is it sort of more like an Avengers where it keeps it pretty shallow? Uh, so we will start with you on with this one, Shannon. What is your story depth rating on a scale of one to ten? On a scale of one to ten, I would probably put this at maybe a nine. I kind of want to go higher because in my in my eyes, this movie goes really deep. Because I mean, it deals with the effects of the society under this oppressive government, realizing that like doing things for the greater good may not always be the right thing. Extremists versus organization, hope and trust, faith after you know like this chaos and dying for what you believe in. Like it just every time I watch this movie, I find this other rabbit hole to go down, and I'm just like, this is insane, and you're making me feel all the feels, man. <laughs> it's just I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what a good that's what a good story with depth does to you, right? So that's awesome. Uh, so you said nine out of ten. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. What about you, Hannibal? Um, I'm well. I, I don't find her abundance of faith disturbing there, but I would say uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, my personal rating is about an eight, uh, okay. because again, at this this is. Uh, as a Star Wars film and as a pure war film, it follows many of the conventions of that. So you don't get very deep into the characters, the the problems that she noted with the protagonist, Jenner. So I also had, um, mm -hmm. which ironically I believe would have been solved by including more of the stuff from the trailers. But you know that's lost to time now. Um, uh, I I really missed that line. You know I'm a rebel. I rebel. I really oh, yeah. really missed that. Uh, uh, yeah. So. <laughs> uh, some of those character elements for her, I feel were very strong, but I had the same concerns when I'm looking at Force 10 from Navarone. Again, when I look at a war movie, war movies are not deep character studies mostly. They mm -hmm. are plot-driven, and this was brilliantly and scarily plotted. It was really, really good in that regard. Uh, as well, when it did focus on a character, uh, such as Krennic, and I'm not going to spoil too much, I think it did a great job with that. I think it really summed up that existence and a lot of things that I'll get into later about the society that that uh, created and nurtured a, a person such as that. Hmm, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you said eight, right? Yes, sir. All right. So we got an eight and a nine. I'm gonna be um, with Shannon on this one. I have a nine <laughs> as well. 
Um, but we're right all in the same in the same area, actually. You're far uh, too trusting. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, it's I do true. want to say, like, as a theorist, this movie has so many toeholds and opportunities to just like speculate away, which I have done and I'll probably talk about later. <laughs> but it's just like there's so much to do with this movie. Yeah, totally. In the in the, I will say that it like you you said it really well, Hannibal. Like it's much better from a plot perspective than it is mm-hmm. from a character perspective. Mm-hmm. So that's the only reason I'm not giving it a ten because. I will say that of all the Star Wars films that I've seen, I, and I'm and I'm very much a non-emotional um, viewer in terms of I, I tend to not react emotionally as I'm viewing it. Um, but this film, I get choked up in. So if you can make me get choked up in this film, then you've got a pretty good chance of getting a high score from me in the in the story depth standpoint. And it's and it does so without giving me like so I got a little bit choked up the first time I watched The Force Awakens, but that's only because I haven't seen Han and Chewie on film in how many years, right? Like 35 years or whatever it was. So so uh, for me, this this film is um, goes into some pretty deep things that I really enjoy. Uh, let's go to the last rating on here. And Hannibal, I'll start with you. What is your likelihood to refer Rogue One? My likelihood to refer is absolutely a 10, though, because in okay. the same way that my friends told me, because people have been trying to get me into Doctor Who for years, and I was like, eh, that's too much work. Please. And they, they oh said, start with Eccleston. If you can't get through 10 episodes, you're not a Whovian. And in episode three of, of the Eccleston season, I was on board. So nice. if somebody watches even the first half of this movie and they're not in, they're not a Star Wars person. And I can respect that, but I can't imagine anybody, based on everybody who's seen it, that not falling in love with it. This world, the immersiveness of it, and and the hooks that this movie in particular sinks into the viewer, I think are difficult to beat. So absolutely, 10 out of 10 reference. Awesome. What about you, Shannon? Yeah, like literally everything you just said, like exact same. Like I, this is a 10 out of 10, and the same thing you that you said about like if you don't, if you can't make it through this movie, then you're definitely just not gonna be a Star Wars fan. It's just not for you because I do think that like if you don't know much about Star Wars, you can still get so much out of this movie, and it oh. is a great jumping off point. Like sure, you might not know like everything, like all the characters that's going on, but. It just feels so like Star Warsy, and it gets you into it. And there's so much to be discovered. And like after this movie, the doors are wide open, and it's like let's go like run headfirst into Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I, I there's I have nothing to disagree with because I'm at ten as well. <laughs> so and actually we just did our um, we just did our top ten uh, sci-fi films of all time. We just recorded it earlier this week, Spoiler. and this shows up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Spoilers. If you haven't listened to that show, go listen to it. But this one shows up on my as number two on my top sci-fi films of all time. Wow. So, wow. and I'm a sci-fi fan, so that's saying something. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so now I'm going to give a spoiler warning. If you have not seen Rogue One, first of all, what's wrong with you? Second of all, <laughs> go watch it because we're going to dive into some deeper questions here and we'd love for you to join us. So go watch it first or if you don't care about spoilers, then keep listening in. But That's on you. Star Wars fans, we are giving away two very special Star Wars prizes to Reclamation Society email subscribers. If you subscribe to the Reclamation Society's email updates, 
you are entered to win the Art of Rogue One. But thanks to a special donation from Daryl Smith, who is also one of the other hosts of the Story Geeks podcast, we have a second prize, a never-before-watched copy of The Phantom Menace on VHS. That means we have two super cool collector's items, and all you have to do is subscribe to our email updates, which, by the way, you should do anyways. So, go visit www.reclamationsociety.org, and you can enter to win there. The link is in the show notes, so go subscribe now! Uh, so, the first question is for Shannon, and we'll get to Hannibal too, but we're going to start with Shannon. Um... Was this a film that Disney and Lucasfilm needed to make? I am going to have to say yes, because it does fill in a pretty major plot hole, because I wasn't like a huge Star Wars fan before The Force Awakens or any of this stuff started coming out, but even I knew about that plot hole, and this does address that. And as a newer fan, it lets me see the universe through new eyes because, yeah, there are some characters that we've seen before in it, but for the most part, it's entirely new people. We're learning about this world. And for me, that's really important. Like, I've been trying to get into the Star Wars books. I'm still not super in touch with all of the background characters, so I find a lot of the books to be just a big jumbled mess of stuff that I just don't never know what's going on. And I think with Rogue One, it really does give you time to like say, okay, this is the world, we can kind of ease into it, and then it opens up the door to a new hope, and then you can mm. just get right on into it and know what's going on. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great mm. point. What about you, Hannibal? Did you think this is a film that they needed to make? I absolutely think it's a film they needed to make for a very different reason. Um, mm. There was, while there was a great deal of acclaim and a great deal of financial success for The Force Awakens, there was an enormously vocal uh, and antagonistic community of Star Wars fandom that had multiple concerns with it. I, when I saw The Force Awakens, literally as the credits rolled, screamed no at the screen. I was, I was viscerally. I mean, like my wife was like, "Oh my god!" So <laughs> I was, I was, I was shaken for like hours afterwards. So um, for, I, I remember walking into Rogue One uh, the same way that they say a lot of ethnic communities walk into community shows. Like, entertain me, come on, tough guy. <laughs> and when it literally bowled me over in every possible way, and and took all the little Star Wars sparks that I'd had in myself for, for most of my life, as I noted, I was like, okay, you've got me back now. You've at least got my attention. Because now we don't have to worry about... Uh, I can, If I walk into Episode 8, I'm not going to walk in with a chip on my shoulder. I'm going to walk in fresh and willing to say, all right, maybe, you know, Han's a deadbeat dad, and maybe Luke <laughs> was a coward who ran away from all his responsibilities, but maybe we can work this out? Whereas before, I was like, yeah, I, 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 you've ruined everything. Everybody I grew up loving, and, and I want you all to burn. Oh, man, that's like one of the things that I loved about Force Awakens, but that they showed these childhood heroes in that light. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but I mean, man, I, w I was excited about that. <laughs> yeah, I so, okay, so I'm going to be somewhere in the middle of you guys um and i don't have much to add to what you said it, it occurred to me that like shannon i don't think of the death star exhaust port issue as necessarily a plot hole i, I understand I why you say that um but i don't see it necessarily as a plot hole so much as i see it like 
a really convenient mistake that was made, right? Like, yeah. like um, a MacGuffin. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm like, okay, I can let that slide. Um, so in my, so from a plot perspective, I didn't think that they necessarily needed to solve this for me personally. However, going down um, Hannibal's line of thought, I do think they needed to create a movie that was not your typical Star Wars. I mean, this is definitely a darker film. It's mm. definitely a grittier film. Uh, I know that Revenge of the Sith um, and even Empire, to a certain extent, get pretty dark. Uh, but I felt like they needed to do something else like this because this is, opens them up to so many more possibilities with Star Wars films overall. So I really Very liked true. that aspect of it. I would like if we if we can dig into uh, these sorts of details here, if you don't mind. Yeah, go uh, for it. With the exhaust port, I, I never saw it as a plot hole because I was able to see a crucial problem with the Empire. Um, what, for example, when Vader said, uh, Admiral Ozzel is as clumsy as he is stupid, uh, mm. it implied to me that the Empire was not a meritocracy. There were a number of people who were in position doing jobs that were very important jobs that may not have deserved to do those jobs. And mm. as a kid, I'm like, gee, that's weird. And as someone who's worked in corporate America now, I can say, oh, that's completely normal. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. uh, with, with that having happened, you know, w growing up, I was like, yeah, I could see somebody missing that, trying to save some dollars, screwing this up. And with the story now expanded, as we see, that Galen put the flaw in intentionally and covered it up, the fact that, the, uh, as, as we would say, the quality assurance engineers missing that does not surprise me at all. That's, that's <laughs> unfortunately very common in almost every corporate entity I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. Yeah, that is very, very true. Um, transitioning into question number two. So far in the Story Geeks Star Wars series of podcasts, we've just covered the prequels. So obviously this is the fourth film, so we're doing the fourth film. Um, and we covered the, the prequels in a lot of depth, but this is the first film we're diving into that isn't focused on Anakin Skywalker. And it's actually not a saga film either. Mm -hmm. So despite that fact, do you think that Rogue One fits as the fourth film in the Star Wars universe? Shannon, why or why not? Um, well, I've always seen this as more of a prologue to episode four than an actual, like, this is the fourth film in the franchise, mostly just because it's not necessary in, like, per se, to understand episode four, but it definitely sets it up and gives you so much more background information, new characters, like a, a definite way of, you know, maybe if you want to start with a newer film because you don't know all of the lore and everything, you can start here and then transition into episode four. So I don't know if I would say that, like, if you're watching them episodically for the first time, that this is definitely, like, movie number four because it's really just the beginnings of like episode four which if if that makes sense i feel like that's kind of a weird way that i said that here but... <laughs> no i actually like that take okay um, yeah. what do you think hannibal i would say that this isn't is less the fourth film in the star wars universe and more akin to clone wars in the way that clone wars is vital entertainment and enormously informative and helpful for what's happening in terms of the overarching story, but that if you're just plowing through the movies, it may not be, as she said, a necessary thing. What I have been trying to do, because uh, I went with what's called the expanded machete or the Craig Sherman order, uh, and whereas you look at it, it used to be 
four five one two three six. So now the way I would view, if I was going to recommend somebody, somebody who you know landed from another planet, never seen Star Wars, I'd say let's start <laughs> you with Rogue One and then go through four five one two three six, and there's no seventh movie. Let's move on. So. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I have to give a, a shout out to the Network 1901 again, which is Shannon's crew, um, because they actually found a film school student who hadn't really ever watched Star Wars before. That's right. And um, yeah, I know. I know. It's crazy. Um, but well, it's well you, worth finding know, those podcasts and listening to them. Yeah. And if you want to know some secrets, yeah, he's a film student that's never seen Star Wars. So we did take him through them. He watched them episode one through episode seven and he did manage to get rogue one in there and he's actually never seen harry potter so we're actually working on discovering harry potter as well i don't know how he's a film student and hadn't seen either of these things but we're gonna fix that is he he an exchange student from tatooine because that's the only way i can figure (laughs) i i i don't know he's canadian man i don't know there's no such thing as canadia That's a whole other planet in the Star Wars universe. That's I think. right. That's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, my my take on this is, uh, all right. Have I asked you, Hannibal, yet about this? Your take? You think you said it, you think that it is more like the Clone Wars? Yes, very much. I don't. I don't yeah. so much see this. I mean, because the saga films are. I mean, when George was walking around USC with this in his backpack for all those years, he was writing saga films. Uh, he wasn't thinking about the expanded universe. He wasn't thinking about the games. He wasn't thinking about a lot of the things that we've come to appreciate. So, George, you know, Thrawn isn't George's idea, even though hmm. Thrawn is my second favorite Star Wars character of all time. Hmm. So, uh, George built a world, but he was building a world for Skywalkers. And for this to exist, uh, this does not fit in that specific thing. He was building a, a cinematic world for Skywalkers. Everything else that happens is just, you know, given Jet Lucas and all his grandkids college money about <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would I would basically agree with both of you guys' takes on it. I think for me, if you watched this film as the fourth film, um, I probably would not recommend that. Just for the reason that, you know, the saga films all focus on Anakin and then Luke. And obviously oh. now we're gonna get into Ray. Um, and I think if you break up the, that, those character arcs, it, to me, it would feel weird. Now, obviously, since I haven't done it and I haven't experienced the films that way, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't feel weird at all. But to me, if you break that, that narrative, that narrative arc of this, basically this family, um, and then who knows what, what Ray is going to be. But that sort of breaks it a little bit with Rogue One. So I like watching it like sort of like you're talking about Hannibal, like as the Clone Wars, which is... I feel like I need to. I feel like I want to dive into this world a little deeper, and then there's mm-hmm. these things that I want to know how they happened, and then this is like a perfect film to kind of supplement the overarching yeah. story. Yeah, it's like, like if you've got old... questions, you, they can be answered if you want them, basically. Right. Or or like right. that old uh, Paul Malov commercial, Star Wars. Oh, you're soaking in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 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 Um, oh, the only the only last note I had on that question was that um, I feel like the final part of the third act, when they start to talk about hope, if you haven't seen the original trilogy, you don't really understand what that means. And that particular scene doesn't hit with as much force. As it would I think it gives it a whole new meaning, though, because... We're led to believe that A New Hope is Luke, but after watching Rogue One, it's almost like 
the team of Rogue One gave the Resistance their hope back because they were about ready to abandon the cause. They weren't going to go to Scarif and help and do anything. But because of what they did, they found that again. So it's it's almost shifting it away from Luke being the hope, which I think is really interesting if you look at it like that. In a way, I have to agree with Shannon because the whole film built around this idea. Rebellions are built on hope. That was said multiple times throughout the film, intentionally so. So when, uh, I guess we're spoiling now, when Leia said that at the end, that was uh, a, a, a payoff for the things that we had already been saying throughout that thing. And you could even see it in terms of the visual direction, that you start on uh, the world where uh, uh, Cassian is shooting a guy and it's all grimy and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And when we're talking about, oh, we finally have hope, it's on the cleanest, whitest, brightest set that you've ever seen in your whole life. And Leia's <laughs> freaking diaphanous. So when you combine yeah. all that, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a, those are really great points, um, and I I I totally see that. But I think for me, if it was just about destroying the Death Star, then that makes sense. But since we know more, since we know like what it means to see, like super badass Darth Vader just throwing people everywhere. Um, now we know what it looks like to overcome that villain. Uh, so I think it just adds some deeper layers of hope. But you're right. Like, yeah, it gives context to the fact that the rebellion itself has hope because of what these yeah. folks have been able to do. Well, and that's what's so interesting. It's like you get you can get something out of it, like, depending on where you're at in the films like if you are like a big like original trilogy film if you're a big prequels fan if you're more of a sequel trilogy you will probably find different things in this movie and have different takeaways from it just based on that alone which is very interesting with this movie i think because i know that you know like my co-hosts are bigger fans of the original trilogy and they caught a lot more things that I didn't catch, but we all still seem to enjoy it the same amount, which was kind of interesting to me. So what you're saying, he, he said something that was true from a certain point of view. <laughs> That's yes. exactly right. <laughs> from a certain point of view. Yes, right. Um, awesome. Well, let's move on to question number three. And this struck me uh, actually probably for the first time this last viewing, I just hadn't occurred to me before, but lonely abandoned characters are central to the Star Wars universe. And we've got examples of it, right? Because we've got Anakin, uh-huh. we've got Luke, and now we've got Rey. Um, not to mention Finn, by the way. Um, yeah. And with Rogue One, we're introduced to another lonely abandoned character, Jin Erso. So Shannon, why is this setup so important to the Star Wars audience And what makes these characters resonate with us? Well, I am a huge reader. I read a lot of YA fiction, a lot of YA fantasy. So this is a common trope that we see because these people serve as a really excellent lens, which is, it just makes it so much easier for us as the consumer to fit into this world and to see the world if we aren't the only outsiders. Because if these characters were already established, we'd kind of just be watching it like one step removed, and we would get into it once we had all of the pieces. But having this character that's learning along with us really does like help 
you get into the story and really get a feel for everything because we're not the only ones that are like five steps behind, which again is has been my problem with some of the books that I've been trying to get into with the Star Wars universe because they are very much like you need to know all of the information before you read these because we're not going to tell it to you, <laughs> which is fine, but it is it does take you out of it a little bit. Well. I'm sorry, I, I was going to jump in there uh, yeah, because, yeah, yeah. I, and agree in certain ways because uh, one of the biggest examples of this also in modern fi fiction, ironically, is Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. That Harry Potter is this outsider who has to have literally everything explained to him because yeah, he's been living with muggles. What does he know? Uh, and through those explanations, his kind of cipher personality, most for the most part, allows anybody to see themselves in his role. So when my you know 13-year-old daughter, who's an African-American living in Los Angeles, is reading this book, she sees herself through Harry's eyes because Hermione is mostly, mostly having to come in and save him from his own stupidity. But, <laughs> He's definitely not a Ravenclaw. <laughs> so not a Ravenclaw. Oh, but, no. <laughs> uh, I'm a Slytherin, but anyway. Uh, so <laughs> when, uh, when you see that in, I mean, and they teach that in school. When I was in school, they said, if you use an outsider character, then the exposition that people give to explain things can be more natural and less forced. And that's, you know, common in, in most forms of teaching writing as well. So yeah, that's, this trope is well established in Western literature and the idea of using it here, you know, fits in, I mean, with the whole power of myth, hero's journey thing that George practically, you know, wore like a cape, uh, uh, <laughs> hashtag cape game on point. Uh, we would also see that coming forth, so. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that those takes are fantastic and very much in alignment with mine. The, the one thing I was gonna do is I was gonna say that I feel like as human beings, the one thing that we all know, even super popular people, is we all know and understand loneliness and abandonment. So it doesn't matter if you come from a great home and have tons of friends, I feel like all human beings are searching for intimacy beyond that. Like you enter the world alone, by the way, you leave the world alone, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in the middle, everybody's on a quest to discover intimacy um, and I think that that's a part of it, like, because the Star Wars characters start there and because that's so familiar to us and our own journey, like what you guys talked about, we get to learn alongside them. And I think that that's what we want to do emotionally. We want them to succeed because that will mean that we could succeed in those things as well. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that's where it's an important part to start. Uh, in that in that regard. Yeah, I love that. It's like the one thing that connects us all because we're all so different, but we all still know what it's like to be lonely and want to fit into this amazing world out there. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Joseph Campbell talks about that in his Power of Myth where he says the connection and the reason why the hero's journey is so common across disparate cultures, regardless of you know race, ethnicity, or geography, is because they have sim similar themes that resonate with the human experience. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, now we're going to transition into one of the questions that Shannon submitted, which is a good question. <laughs> um, this is the second lead female character we've seen in the Star Wars universe since Disney has taken over. So we've seen, obviously, Rey and now Jin in Rogue One. Um, and that has sort of drawn critics from both sides. So some are claiming that Lucasfilm and Disney should bring more female characters into the equation. And then others are saying that there um, aren't, uh, an, well, some are saying that they should bring more in. And then some are saying like, why are you f focusing so heavily on these female characters? So 
just want to throw the question out there fairly open-ended what are your thoughts on female characters in the star wars universe and since shannon you submitted the question why don't you give us your thoughts first yeah so i think the reason why it took me so long to get into star wars is because yes there was leia but i never really was super into her i never really super identified with her but when i saw that the force awakens was gonna have ray i was really excited about that and i really like how they handled her character and then once we had rogue one while it is female led there really aren't that many ladies in this film i think it's really just her mon mothma and that other one who I don't know she, who she is, but she does get a couple of lines, and we, they really don't get to speak very much in the film either. So when I see people getting angry on Twitter saying, like, make Star Wars for boys again, why aren't there any more male protagonists anymore? It's kind of weird to me because I'm like, well, it's not like they're taking these huge strides in the female department. We're really still not getting that much equality here. And I really do want to see more fe like female protagonists in Star Wars or even just female anything in Star Wars, like let's explore some female friendships, that kind of stuff, because it is that whole thing again of seeing yourself in the universe. And for a long time, this has been dominated by the guys and that's totally okay. But you know, we, we love it too. We just, we wanna, we wanna have some characters of our own, man. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And you you actually threw some percentages out in your email. Did you That's right. Or... Yeah, I saw those on Twitter. Let me scroll down here. Um, yeah. So I actually got these percentages from the Scavengers Horde podcast, which if you aren't listening to them, they are amazing. They are an all-female-led Star Wars podcast. They do focus mostly on the sequel trilogy, but, you know, they are still, like, absolutely awesome. They are one of my favorite podcasts. But it's actually really interesting because in Rogue One, only 9% of the cast is female and they only speak 17% of the dialogue so when wow. people are getting angry about you know there being you know too many female protagonists well they're still not doing very much yeah wow yeah, definitely so Hannibal what's your take well uh, one of the things that was very important to me it was very important to me to see more female representation for the fact of the fact that I have two daughters in my house that my youngest uh, only started to get into Star Wars after she was driving in the car with me and heard this uh, mashup called, uh, uh, they mashed up the song uh, Yo Soy Americano with quotes from Star Wars. And she was like, wait a minute, what's the girl saying and what's her relation? So I'm explaining things. And she loves the fact that, well, the way she got into it, she loves the fact that she knows more than the people on screen. <laughs> and when she's able to look up at the screen and see Jenner, so when she's able to look up at the screen, screen and see Ray, that's better for her. I would love for her to be able to see a woman of color. I would love, you know, mm. for there to be even more inclusiveness because I understand that the Empire, as a fascist, racist organization, went for a sort of homogeneity across the board. And yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. That's what you're doing. But <laughs> um, I personally would like to see you know I, I remember I got the uh, what do you call it the Finn action figures because I, I bought literally every Finn action figure before Force Awakens came out and then I got <laughs> Superman so I started giving them away but <laughs> I, there was a, a picture on Twitter of this little boy in a store discovering the Finn action figure and it was everything this little uh, black kid who had never seen a figure that looked that much like him and he was just nutting all the way up and that's awesome. the value of that can't be undersold and as much as I love Star Wars, I don't know if it's loved me back that way. So I'm hoping that mm -hmm. a new generation of young ladies can see Star Wars love them back the way that they love it. Yeah, I hear, yeah. hear man. That's awesome, yeah. Have, have either of you guys read the book uh, Lost Stars? 
I have not. I've been trying to weed out the Star Wars books. Right now I'm reading Bloodlines, so but I have heard mm. that that's one of the better ones. I've it's... unfortunately been writing too much to read much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel I'm up you on, on all the that. comics. I can tell you anything about you want to know about Sana, you know, or Doctor <laughs> Aphra. <Afro, but. laughs> well, I would, I would of all the, of, and I don't do this lightly because I have read quite a few Star Wars uh, books. Um, however, I've been probably more disappointed with them than I have been encouraged. That's what I've been finding. <laughs> yeah, um, but I will say that Lost Stars uh, by Claudia Gray is well worth your time um it has uh characters of color it has um multiple genders represented like it's definitely worth reading it's a really really good book um yeah she seems to be doing it right because she wrote um bloodline as well which is widely regarded amongst fans as one of the better star wars books so i'm really interested to see what comes of her in the future yeah i haven't read i haven't read bloodline yet but she was she was really really good i I really enjoyed that book a lot awesome Hmm. um unfortunately i read it before i read chuck wendig's first book um i can't remember the name of that one aftermath i think and uh, unfortunately that was not so good in comparison right because when you read the really good one and then you go to the next one you're like wait what happened here why did they that one was a struggle well why did they market this one too right like they put all their marketing dollars behind aftermath and yet they have lost stars like who who was reading these books and thinking that this was the better option but i digress digress. oh not jar jar come on (laughs) he's the true sith lord here he's the one who's causing the problems (laughs) he made it all happen we would not have palpatine without him that's That's right right. that's right (laughs) so i tried to i tried to take your your question shannon and look at it from two different perspectives okay so the first perspective i took was as a writer um so i i do write things as well um and my first question as a writer is always you know whose story is this what sort of characters do we need in order to tell this story and so like why are you even putting characters on a page that turns into a film or a book or whatever right um and i think that as a writer you need to start there as opposed to starting like somewhere like start with your characters start with what it is you want them to experience and why they're going to experience it and then all of it will feel authentic coming out of that as opposed to trying to say like here's my plot i'm going to shove a female character into it or i'm going to shove a male (laughs) character into it or whatever right right (laughs) um now hannibal you're going to have to respond to this because obviously you're a writer as well so you can you can give your take on it but um, I try to be very careful because as a writer, I don't want to assume that I can take on someone else's perspective on something um, because then it won't necessarily come off as authentic. Um, but in certain cases, I feel like I can get there. So we did a fan film called Star Wars Rivals, um, and it is a film with two lead female characters. Uh, And in that context, that felt safe to me because that film came out of an experience that my wife and I had, wherein we were bullied, but mostly she was bullied um, by some of her family members. And I knew the story from her side because I walked alongside her in that. So maybe not as fully as she knew it, maybe not as deeply as she knew it, but I could understand it from her perspective to the point where it made sense. And in this context of our film, we said uh, it really seems like sisters would be sort of the right dynamic we're looking for. Because um, when you're dealing with bullying and if you had like 
uh, male bullying female. It takes on a whole other vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so didn't really want to go there. So then the question I asked myself is, what are we trying? What are we saying about these characters? What story are we trying to tell? Why are we telling the story? And then we look at how those answers reveal um, what the story should be about and what dictates how the character should behave. Um, so I'll, I'll let you respond real quick to that, Hannibal, just before I go any further. Well, with me, uh, a lot of, and this happens a lot of time when you're trying to represent a character that's not like you, you have to figure out how you can get into their head. For me, that, that answer is research. So like I said, I'm writing this uh, vampire book that I'm writing Pythagoras. So I'm like, what the heck was Pythagoras like? You know, all those hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And how he never liked to write anything down. He only liked to talk. That was a, a, a mark of pride for him. And the the challenge he had adapting to new ideas in terms of, oh wait, people are writing things? That's, ooh, that's so inelegant. Socrates shared the same sort of thing. And that kind of research helped inform the character. Whereas, you know, me, I don't go anywhere without an iPad or an iPhone or some way to capture whatever crazy idea is coming out of my head. I had to get out of myself and into that character. Likewise, for Star Wars and what we're seeing here, the characters, the writers have to figure out how to speak in different voices. Lawrence Kasdan did this really well in Empire Strikes Back, whereas he, uh, you know, had Han as this kind of playful, as he said, scoundrel. And, And Luke is this really determined, I'm trying to figure things out, but I'm still kind of a doofquat, and so on and so forth. So... Uh, speaking in those different voices is the challenge for the writer because even as we leave a little piece of ourselves in each character we always have to remember that we are representing an idea that is not ours and in the current climate in our current society given the slights and, and slings and arrows of outrageous racism that's coming around we have to also remember to uh, when we're representing a character that's drastically different from us that we want to make sure we don't step on any toes in terms of our own ignorance. If the mm. character is ignorant, that's that's what the character's doing. That's nothing we can do about that. But we don't want to be seen ourselves as the reason why the character is ignorant. We want to be transparent in the process. Exactly, exactly. Shannon, did you want to respond? Yeah, I just want to say that made me think of um, so those of you who are networkers might know that I am a huge Percy Jackson fan, and Rick Riordan, who's the author of that, is doing something truly amazing with his Magnus Chase series, and that he is exploring um, transgender, gender fluid, bisexuality, pansexuality, like all this like amazingness that we've never seen before. And these are middle grade books, and he is using his experiences as a teacher and seeing what his students were going through to write this. And I totally feel for writers wanting to get those stories right, because if you haven't lived it, you really have to be careful in how you represent it. And I'm mm-hmm. really loving how he's showing that. So if you if you are like want to see some like really awesome progressive writing, like go check out his Magnus Chase series because it's blowing me away right now. Yeah, and that's, and that's the main point to be made. Like, you, you have to understand in order to be able to tell the story from the character's perspective. Otherwise, I just don't think it comes off as authentic. Now, the other perspective I have is as a producer. So not just as the writer, um, but as the producer. And in some ways, a producer has a similar lens to the writer, but there's this added pressure that comes with marketability. So, and I think this is where a lot of studios get themselves in very big trouble because they actually don't understand their marketplaces very well in many cases. True. 
So I think a writer can get away with writing a story for themselves, right? I'm just going to write this for myself and I'll assume that the producer can deal with it, so to speak. Mm. Um, but the producer never looks at it that way because the producer, and rightfully so, has to be on, uh, has to be able to make money or else the producer mm. won't be a producer anymore. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that the difference is, is that in today's world, we're far enough along um, that there's no way that anyone could claim that a female-led production will bomb. I mean, That's look true. what look at Wonder well, Woman just did. <laughs> Wonder <laughs> Woman is queen right now. We'd like to say no one could say that, but we. Know <laughs> well. Yeah, we know that people are going to say it, which is the disappointment of this conversation, right? Um, and so I think what I would. And I know that my answer is being way too long-winded in this regard, Shannon. But <laughs> what I would like to see is I would like to see, let's be more authentic about the characters we're writing. One of the reasons why Wonder Woman was so good, I think, was because they also had a female director at the helm of that film to help with those things. And I'll, and I'll just say this one more thing about Wonder Woman, um, is that I never felt like, because this happens, especially in the comic book world, Let's have a female character who's technically a male character in a female body because the writer has no clue how to write female characters. Mm -hmm. But that needs um, to be a female character. Yeah, that's, yes. absolutely, that's absolutely true. Exactly. So I, I'm just hoping that now we have Kathleen Kennedy at the helm of Star Wars. So that, I think, helps to a great degree in terms of what she's going to be able to green light, why she's going to be able to green light it. Um, and obviously her track record is phenomenal. Um, this this news about the Han Solo film was so funny to me because I'm like, you guys realize that Kathleen Kennedy has been pretty awesome, right? Like, yeah. uh, but anyway, this is under control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that aside, that's a completely different topic. But um, yeah, let's see some more. Let's see some more characters, and let's actually include writers who know how to go write those characters as well, please. I definitely believe that's important. I remember recent, uh, about two years ago, I had Larry Hama on a panel uh, at this convention I was doing, and uh, he told the story about when he was a DC Comics that, because uh, Larry Hama's Asian, and he, he was a DC Comics and noticed that all the Asian characters in every book were literally colored yellow, and he, of oh course, is not yellow. So <laughs> he walked down to the coloring department one day and said, hey guys, they're like, hey Larry, what's up? Because Larry was a big friend of everybody. He's like, I've noticed that every Asian character you guys put out is colored yellow. They're like, uh-huh. He's like, why? They're like, we've always done it that way. He's like, could you not? Am I yellow? <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. And from that day on, they stopped doing it. The importance of having the right person in the room is enormous, not just in front of the camera, but behind. And, and that story always underscored that to me. Yeah, that's extremely true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we can all agree. We got to get more diversity, not only in the films themselves, but in the pre-production of those films as well. Take that, Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> hey, guys, pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing, they're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called their headphones the best headphones on the market, better even than Bose and Beats. And you know what? I agree. They're what I use when I record this podcast. Please consider purchasing a pair using the 
the link in the show notes. If you click the link to their website and use the promo code J, my name, my first name, J-A-Y, super simple, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. So if you need headphones or you're looking to upgrade the pair that you currently have, definitely take a look at what Urban Vinyl has to offer. Click the link in the show notes to visit their website and use my name, J-A-Y, to get the 15% discount. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now, let's get back to the show. Ah, question number four. Um, I wish technically it's question number five since we had Shannon's question in there. Um, one of the central themes of Rogue One is trust. And at the beginning of the film, really, there's nobody that trusts each other. But we all know that trust is critical in starting and maintaining a movement just like the Rebellion. So in your mind, Hannibal, Mm -hmm. both in Star Wars and in the real world, how is trust built and how can Star Wars teach us to build trust with one another? That's a great question. uh, And I would say it's true in both Star Wars and in real life. The two pillars upon which trust can be uh, built are uh, mutual profit and uh, through showing your showing your ability to be trusted, earning that trust. Hmm. So in this, you know, uh, starting with Rogue One, Jen Erso didn't want to be in jail, and she wanted to try to figure some things out about herself or whatever. And she could get that through doing whatever the heck the rebels wanted. And the rebels wanted her to use her history to get through to uh, Saw Gerrera and so on and so forth. So the, each one of them had a profit that they could derive from it that they could only get together. Mutual profit means that's the way that people don't betray each other. Then, uh, on top of that, when you show somebody, oh, you get, if I've got a gun, I can be useful. I can save your life. You can save mine, as they did in the Jedi marketplace. Then they start to say, oh, okay, I see which way you're going to go. So if I do this, I don't have to worry about this one thing because you've got my back here. I've seen it. And once I've seen it and I've got mutual profit, there's room to open up for trust in that regard. And that, that happens in Star Wars as much as it does in real life. Absolutely. That's a great take. How about you, Shannon? What do you think? Yeah, I, I do agree with that. But, you know, like having that mutual thing that's like, all right, you know, we do kind of need to be able to rely on each other and having that mutual um, understanding kind of kicking that off is a great way to do that. And then showing that you can be trusted, you will have the other person's back, you know, I'm not going to stab you in the back kind of thing does definitely help. And what I've kind of noticed as I've been watching the film again is that within the rebellion, you know, they all have this mutual, like, they want to take down the Empire. But as we kind of see in Force Awakens and as I've been seeing in Bloodlines, once the Empire's gone, they kind of all dissolve into kind of being in it for themselves. So it's really Mm -hmm. interesting, uh, like, to see that maybe this rebellion wasn't quite built on what we thought it was built on. And really, they just had one common enemy, and once it's gone, it was everybody for themselves. It's interesting you say that because the, that was the problem in Afghanistan. The Afghans were b- totally unified against the great Russian threat to the point where, you know, oh, we don't care who's coming in. Let the Americans bring in missiles, let them bring in weapons, whatever, yada, yada, yada. The second the Russians roll out, it's everyone for themselves. And it's mm-hmm. complete chaos. And in a lot of ways, the Rebel Alliance was less of a, a unified group and more of a, a band of, you know, warlords trying to figure something out. And, well, 
when I say it that way, I guess Luke being a coward may not be that bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, I can't believe I'm about, I'm about to compare the um, Empire to the Democratic Party. But a long, long time ago, <laughs> there was a party called the Whig Party. And the Ooh. entire reason they existed was because they did not want Andrew Jackson to be president. They wanted him out of there. Like their whole unifying thing was, you know, we don't like Jackson. And once Jackson was done being president... That's why we don't have the Whig Party anymore. They didn't really have anything else to kind of hold on to other than their hatred of Jackson, and that's kind of went very badly for them. So Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like what you guys have brought to the table in this question. And, and actually, um, my I had very similar things. So the only two th- I'll add a, a couple different words and then sort of a definition of trust. Like, what, what does trust even mean? And one of the things that, because we actually had a lot of distrust in one of the organizations that I worked for. Um, and one of the things that we kind of unraveled as we started to look at what, what we meant by trusting one another was, can I rely upon you for something, right? Am I able to rely upon you to do something? And a lot of times I think that means, can I rely upon other people not to cause me pain or harm, whether that's physical or emotional? Mm-hmm. Um, and like you were saying, Hannibal, there's these, there's these criteria by which we make that decision, right? Um, it, you're totally right. The words you're using are great. Like, is it profitable? Um, and can I actually rely upon them to do what they say they're going to do? Um, that's really, really good. And I totally agree with that. I, I, I'd add a couple words to that as well, because I think it's really difficult. And this is kind of where you're going, Shannon. It's very difficult to know if I can trust you unless I know your motivation. In other words, why? Why are you trying to do this thing that mm-hmm. you're trying to do? Um, but the new word that I'll throw in is actually, um, I don't really trust you unless you're vulnerable with me as well. So, because yeah. okay. if we if we were all if we were all perfect, now this the film shows this, so I'm going to circle back around to the film. But if we we all know that there's no way there's no way that I can rely upon Shannon to be perfect. There's no way I can rely <laughs> upon not, Hannibal to I'm be saying. perfect. <laughs> perfect as far as I'm concerned. Oh, my, thank you. <laughs> this, this is true. I could be totally wrong. I thought Shannon could be totally perfect. Um, but I, I think the... the I, I know that I'm not perfect, right? So as I look at this, I go, but Cassian eventually gets to the point with Jin where he is vulnerable to her. He admits his faults to her. And then he says, but I'm not going to abandon you like other people have. Uh-huh. And that's what brings them together. She knows that he still struggles with the exact same things he struggled with five minutes ago. But at least she knows where his motivation is coming from. And she knows he knows that that's an area of weakness for him. So now I can actually trust him because I know that he knows that as opposed to he's trying to avoid it at all costs. That is totally true. Yeah. It's like once you kind of have that heart to heart, like throughout all forms of media that's when the team finally comes together because we finally know like what's really in it for your fellow teammates and that that is totally true i hadn't even thought about that it is kind of after it's like i've been in this rebellion for six years and i'm not gonna abandon you so that's when they kind of finally are like ah yes and my ship sets sail Uh exactly (laughs) exactly and now we're gonna jump into hannibal's first question um, which is a great one and gives us a good setup for what we're talking about um, for the rest of the podcast too. But we know from the prequels that part of Palpatine's mandate 
was to basically bring peace and security. I'm using quotation marks. I don't remember exactly what words he used, but to the galaxy, except that as we see here, it appears that lawlessness still runs rampant in places. Obviously, like Jeddah being one of those places, right? Uh So the question that Hannibal has submitted, which I think is awesome, is has the Empire fulfilled its mandate? If so, how? And if not, what will it take for them to fulfill their vision for the galaxy? And so since, Hannibal, you asked the question, I'll throw it over to Shannon first Uh for her first take. Hmm. Well, I had kind of thought about this while I was rewatching Rogue One again, in that since we do see that time and time again, whenever the galaxy tries to, you know, have this galactic senate and try to do democracy, something happens and they devolve back into that, like, you know, dictatorship, you know, we're going to have an iron, like, death grip on this whole situation here. So it makes me wonder if the galaxy's only hope for peace is kind of having this type of government, because while, yes, it seems like life isn't going too great for everybody, at least things are getting done in a kind of sort of sense, because like we've been seeing in the Senate, like things get like in a complete deadlock and like nothing's happening. We're still getting, you know, these bad deals. We're still getting these crime lords running rampant. But in the Empire, there is that threat of you might get totally, you know, annihilated if you continue unless there's benefit for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Hannibal, you threw the question out there. Let's hear. Let's hear what you think. Well, a lot of what I think about this comes from noticing the uh, new character Aiden Versio, who's in Star Wars Battlefront Two campaign mode. She's uh, a female special forces Imperial commando who grew up on a world called. Uh, let me. What does it say? It says it's Versio. Uh, wait, no, it's. Anyway, it's some new world that they created that essentially is an imperial wonderland. It's all the promise of the Empire. Uh, Mm. And, you know, there's total peace. There's total employment. There's, you know, tranquility. The crime, is there's no crime there. It's everything that the Emperor promised. The problem is it couldn't be exported. Uh, So when you get to, I mean, admittedly, and I, I was the first one to admit that, the only one left on Tatooine who has slaves is Jabba the Hutt when the Imperial period starts. Slavery has been outlawed there, so... Anakin may not be willing to go back there, but his, his touch went that far at least. Hmm. So we can look at some of the things that, you know, uh, and, and I make this joke all the time. Yeah, you may be mad at Palpatine, but at least the transports run on time. So <laughs> It's true. <laughs> there, there are a lot of things that were cleaned up, the corruption that was rampant in the Senate, that, you know, uh, th- things taking years to get discussed in committee. Uh, I'm not a committee. Are you really? Do you need to really discuss this at that length? Or can we just go do things? And that kind of uh, forcefulness was interesting. What I think we'll see in that, so no, I don't believe the Empire ever fulfilled its mandate, partially because good help is enormously hard to find. And there's a lot of Admiral Ozzels in the world. Unfortunately, those Admiral Ozzels get promoted, (laughs) and (laughs) the people below them who may be more qualified, maybe not so much. You know, do we really need General Hux when we've already got Phasma? I don't think we do. So... Literally, in my brain, I want to recut that movie with all of his lines being said by her, and I think it'll be a much better film, personally, because I think she looks less goofy. Um, <laughs> Instead of just getting thrown down a trash compactor, and that's all she gets. <laughs> I'm, Gwendolyn deserves better. But anyway, she I'm, deserves better. I'm not going to get into that right now. What I'm going to get into is that the Empire could fulfill its mandate by issuing more of a meritocracy involved, not just ruling by strength, but ruling by talent. 
in the way that Thrawn did on his ships. When somebody screwed up but admitted it and fixed it, they got promoted. Hmm. Whereas if the same thing happened on the executor, you were getting force choked and tossed out in our airlock. Right. And that's not the way to bring peace and tranquility to the galaxy. No, it's definitely not, not tranquility. <laughs> so uh, that sort of thing, you know, the, the, the Tarkin doctrine of ruling through fear, it has its ability for a while. But the problem is they were trying to rule the inner core worlds by fear. The worlds that were pretty clean and pretty okay and not really screwed up. You weren't, you know, threatening Tatooine with destruction. You weren't threatening, you know, uh, 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 what is it, Nar Shada with destruction. Mm. the places that really, really could have used it. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, right. yeah, under that, I, I do believe but I do believe that the Empire failed to meet his mandate because they really lacked the will to commit to it. Palpatine mm. was not really there for peace and uh, tranquility. He was there for the sake of power itself. It said so in the Book of Sith, where he wrote his own things, where he said he would end the rule of two, uh, which I know that's not canon anymore, I know. <laughs> but still, uh, <laughs> It was canon until 27 minutes ago. So in, in that mind state, I really believe that the Empire, uh, the, I, I want, the older I get, the older I want the Empire to be right, but I know that they're not. I know they don't have the wherewithal or the skill or the patience to be right. And that's, Yeah, and that's yeah. what's interesting. It's like as you age, it's like you want the Empire to be what it said it could be but you just know that it can't happen because they just could they didn't have the right people in the right places mm -hmm. i believed in you you were the chosen one oh. <laughs> right <laughs> i hate you <laughs> so i'm gonna dive into i'm gonna because i think this question is fantastic and i did not think i was going to talk about this on this podcast and this is not a theory that i've like put out there all that Dun, frequently dun, dun. Um, yeah but it's one of the reasons I started this podcast honestly so I'm gonna throw it out there and this applies not only to the Star Wars universe and this question but I believe it applies to real life as well and that is um, I used to be much more actively involved in the government uh, not I, sh I shouldn't say myself in the government but like my participation in what was going on politically was much stronger back in the day and what I realized was that in my mind, government is ultimately dictated by culture. So in other words, hmm. you, even, even in a, even in a, this is especially true in a democracy, like what we're like a Republic, we're in a democratic Republic of sorts, but it's especially true in a democracy, but even in a monarchy, because the populace can always rebel, the government is subject to wherever culture is going. Right now, don't get me wrong. Government can stifle culture at like all at all ends, but culture will ultimately be able to overthrow the government if it so chooses to do so and is strong enough to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So True. the question then is, how do you influence culture? Because government, is too, if you're trying to influence government, you're probably too late. If culture is winning, then government is defined by culture. How do you influence culture? Ah yes. Ah, now yeah. you now, now you walk. Now I'm my seeing some. Yeah. Now, now I'm seeing some like scary horror movie things that have been happening on Twitter. Well, <laughs> yeah. Oh no! I'll, I'll roll up my sleeves on this one, and uh, I got a chance to see a panel that um, I believe it was the Marguerite Bennett, the writer of Black Widow from Marvel, said, and she says, "I'm on the front lines of the culture war. That's why I'm writing comics, and mm, yeah. I need to be here because this is where the ideas start." that end up on the screens, that end up in Twitter, that end up in... So 
if this, then I need to be here for strong. She said uh, strong female representation. For me, it's strong black representation. It's the representation of a father. It's a representation of somebody who wants uh, a better life for his daughters. And yep. uh, there's nowhere, there's no other fight that I can take on because I can do all the, you know, uh, my wife was in uh, Occupy. My wife was uh, uh, the one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, danced at our wedding. So politics has always <laughs> been a very big part of what we do and what we are as a, a, a culture. But our approaches are slightly different. I believe in fighting the information side of it. So if the most, and I love to see this, if the most ardent, you know, hardcore, racist, whatever, blah, 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 reads a story and gets really invested in a, a character and realizes, wait a minute, this is a black character, then they have to stop and think about what they're doing. Yep. And that's yeah, the gift this, of writing. Is, that's what I can do. Yeah, that is totally true because I have seen that if you want a change to happen, you do need the culture to change. And I, I see this a lot on like Pinterest and Tumblr with kind of like people drawing assumptions about other people or they they make jokes about mental illness, about rape, about all of that kind of stuff. And it makes it so that these things get stifled. And until the culture changes and those things go back to being important things that need to matter, we're not going to see any changes happen. So that is totally true, that it is a culture thing that really does dictate how things are going to work and how it's going to run. Right. So so the, then the question in my mind is like, how do we influence even culture? And I think like Hannibal, your point like being and Shannon, your point being like conversations. Absolutely. And the way that we write stories and the types of themes we include in our stories, those are very instrumental to how culture changes, because ultimately culture is dictated by whatever is in our minds and hearts of the individuals that make up the culture. So in my mind, that's what we, you know, as we do the Story Geeks podcast and as I invite people on like you guys, part of it is just to talk about deeper subjects in a way that is not hostile, in a way that is in, not, uh, uh, inclusive in that we, we at least discuss the topics in a civilized manner. And so I think right. if you take the empire, they're going about it exactly backwards. They're just yeah. saying government's going to dictate it. Just, you know, for some of you, it'll work out really great. There's actually planets that will think that this is amazing. And then for those of you who are kind of not in alignment, guess what? We're going to make a Death Star, right? Uh -huh. um, right. Yeah. So I would, I would agree, Hannibal, that I think that the Empire has not achieved its goal. And as opposed to trying, as opposed to Palpatine being like, wow, this really worked with Anakin. Like I was able to kind of get Anakin over to my side by changing his heart and mind over time. Um, instead, he, he abandons that approach altogether and just dives straight into the Death Star. Yeah, well, I think is... if he had like taken maybe a sneakier approach, like if he'd continued his sneaky approach, maybe. But instead, he decided to go like full evil villain, like, let's go. I'm going to shoot lightning out of my fingers. We're going to build a Death Star. <laughs> like, let's just go like full at it. All right, well, first of all, lightning out of fingers is cool. So It is you know, pretty awesome. You can't Ultimate be mad power. about that. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Unlimited power. Unlimited so, power. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, okay, whatever. But uh, that also speaks to the value he put on things. He invested time in uh, Maul, in Dooku, and in Anakin because he needed them for a specific purpose. Most people he can't think of a use for. They're just people. They're just furniture. So he leaves the ruling of them to your Admiral Ozzels. And your Tarkins and your lesser, you know, your lesser, 
functionaries and let them say, hey, you'll figure it out. I don't really care. The details are the power. I'm here to seize the power. And power comes in escalating things. First, I had to be the chancellor. Then I got to be the emperor. Then I got to have a Death Star. I'm sorry. Then I got to have a Sith apprentice. Then I got to have a Death Star. Then I got to do all this other crazy stuff. And he's <laughs> always chasing the next power rush, which doesn't do anything for, you know, the man on the streets of Coruscant or the man on the streets of Tatooine or the man on the streets of Nar Shaddaa or Jaddaa for that case. So when we look at it that way, Palpatine never really, uh, that mandate was for the Empire, but he, he certainly never felt it. He certainly never had any value to it at all. It was like, this is just stuff, stuff I say, you know. That is it for today's podcast. Now it's time for you to share your thoughts on today's topic. Write us an email at hi at reclamationsociety.org or head over to one of our social media accounts and get in touch with us there. Links are in the show notes. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe. And if you have an extra minute, write us a review or share this episode with one of your geek friends. All right, fellow geeks, as always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. We'll catch you on the next podcast.